0: Welcome to the Sunday Sermons podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayers that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here to worship with us, to pray with us, to meditate, to study the Bible with us, to give with us. You may not realize this, but all of those are spiritual disciplines. And about this time every year we come back and we walk back through these in one way or another, at least remember them, uh, try to apply them in fresh ways. This year, we're not going to be walking through exactly what they are. If you don't know what the spiritual disciplines are, if that's a new term to you, if you'd like to dig deeper, there are several things out in the atrium, some books, some handouts, several things like that. And uh, we'd love to just make those available. There's a whole sermon series from a year ago that walks you through what they are but this year the more we've been praying and thinking about what god wanted us to do right now with the church instead we're just going to focus on using the spiritual disciplines to attack the seven deadly sins and i want to be clear what we'll talk more about what those are as time goes by the seven deadly sins is a man-made list uh, based on very very biblical concepts uh, it's kind of like the Trinity. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible uh, to describe God, the three-person God that we serve. But all throughout the scripture, you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see them working together. You see them, uh, we're, us interacting with them in different ways. You see all of the stuff that we call the Trinity, the concept of the Trinity throughout scripture. You just, you won't see that word. The seven deadly sins is kind of like that. You see a lot of lists of different sins in the the scriptures. They're on most of them. They're kind of fueling the other ones. But one way or another, these are things that somebody has put together over time and said, these are the things that are going to kill us. These are the things that are going to destroy us spiritually more than anything else. These are the things that not only are uh, in direct opposition to some of the things that God loves the most, But they're the things that will undermine our identity in him and destroy our spiritual lives more than anything else. Before we go any further, I do want to remind you this, that sin is not more powerful than righteousness. It never will be. At best, it's a counterfeit. At best, it's on defense. At best, it's always uh, an attack against it. But the goodness, the greatness, the purity of God, the power of God is always more powerful. C.S. Lewis said it this way, badness is only spoiled goodness and there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. That quote goes on like this. He says someone may choose to do good, but in order to be bad, he must have good things to want and then to pursue in the wrong way. He must have impulses which were originally good in order to pervert them. Evil is a parasite, not an original thing. So as we walk through these, the, the next several weeks, I hope that you will not be empowered to think of them as scary or or. ...terrible things and we've got to get our posture of defense up more. Instead, I hope that you'll find out that we have the tools. God has given us the tools to conquer these. God has given us the tools to bust through these things, to break free from them. His power, what He did on the cross and the resurrection already gave us this possibility, made it possible, broke the power of sin and death. But even in each one of our lives our daily lives, our ongoing struggle with some of these things, he's given us the tools to use to get completely free. So that's what we're going to do this time. So pride, let's talk about pride for a second. This is the first one we're going to walk through. Pride is in response to humility and faith. Humility and faith are the things that God loves. And biblically speaking, here's what humility really is. It's living fully from your own true identity. It's being willing to live out the script that God gives you rather than a script that you would like Him to give you. It's being willing to do what He created you to do and do it to the best of your your ability without any regard whatsoever to who got a better part or who got a bigger part or who got more credit for the part that they played or who won an award for their part. It's just being who He made you to be but doing the best possible thing you can do at that. Faith in the scripture, again, is action-inspiring total trust in Christ. You never see faith in the scripture separate from some sort of action that is based on that confidence in Him. But here's the problem. Pride inside of us feels more true than God's truth. It sounds more true. The script we write for ourselves or the script we see someone else Right, uh, living by, and we go, man. I wish I had that script. I wish that was the role I got. I wish that was me. It usually sounds more credible because it's. In, it it, it the, that's how this twisted sin is. That's why it's so deadly. We don't feel like we're just doing something innately evil. We just think that we know better than God, and that is the essence of pride. Pride is the first and the for, first and most fundamental. Sin. Let's say that together. Pride is the first and most fundamental sin. And I know there's some theologians out there already switching back to Genesis 3 and giving me hard looks. Bear with me. I, 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 know, I know what you're thinking and I agree with you. I just think this is true. If we did not believe that we knew better than God even for a second even in just one instance even in just one action one thing he said not to do but we think we should do it one thing he said to do and we think i just i don't have time for that if we did not think that we knew better than god we would never sin at all does that make sense When Adam and Eve did the first sin, there there was nothing really innately wrong about eating fruit. There was nothing really innately wrong about picking a piece of fruit or talking. Hey, if snakes could talk, you could talk to them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the, the actual things that were going on at that moment weren't so much wrong in and of themselves. Here's what was going on in their hearts. They were doubting God. They were disobeying God. They were choosing their own will and some lies they've been told over the truth that God had told them and over God's own will himself. And their pride is what made them disobey. Their pride is what created that disobedience. That their pride is the thing that made that sin, the action of the sin, happen. That's why pride is the first and most fundamental sin. I'm not saying that they just sat around one day and felt prideful. And then that other thing happened. But in that moment when they they chose to believe the lie, they chose to go that direction instead of God's, pride twisted something that was kind of innocent in and of itself into something evil. Pride does that all the time. That's what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 18 when he told this story. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. In other words, proud people. With me? Jesus said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, "O oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And here's how Jesus ended that story. He said, I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So at the core of all of these ideas we're looking at this morning, to to beat pride, we've got to humble ourselves before God. It's not just trying to squash a feeling inside of yourself. It's realizing and admitting and confessing that that feeling, those ideas of I know better than God are lies. They're not true. And choosing to reject them and choosing to embrace instead humility and faith. Complete trust and complete obedience in God himself. And to do that, it, it, it takes a lot of work. The, the, like I said earlier, the, the major work, the stuff that we never ever could have done on our own was done by Jesus once and for all. And yet God has given us these spiritual disciplines which are the things that actually help us get the work done. There's a story told about a couple of lumberjacks. One was young and strong, powerful and ambitious. The other was older, but he had earned a lot of respect. And one day, the young guy walks up to the old guy and he says, listen, old man, I'm tired of this. I've been here for a long time now and everybody knows that I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm faster than you. But they still reject you. They still respect you more. I'm tired of it. I challenge you to a contest. We'll even use your old school tools. We'll just use one axe each. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to each have just walk into a section of the woods that's just trees. We got five hours to work on this. And whoever cuts down trees, chops them up and splits them and ends up with the biggest pile of firewood at the end of five hours wins. And from that point on, we're the King Lumberjack. Old man says, Okay. Really? You're, you're willing to? Do, you're going to go against me on this? Sure, absolutely, let's do it. So the young guy, he gets all of his friends together, he gets everybody, he gets them to go, they say go, boom, contest is on. And this guy is, he's powerful, he's strong, and he's relentless, and he wants it bad. So he never stops working at all. He's just work, 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 work. And he cuts down an incredible amount of trees. And he cut, chops them up and he splits them and nobody can believe how great it's going. But they're also watching the old man on the other side. And he's working pretty fast, too. And he's working pretty well, too. But every so often, he kind of just disappears for a few minutes and then comes back and goes back at it. They're thinking, does he not even care? But by the end of the five hours, the young man's sweating, and he finally just throws down his axe. He's like, all right. And he looks at his pile. He's pretty confident he's won this thing. He's, he knows he's won. Turns around, sees the other guy's pile for the first time. And the old man's pile is way bigger. And he's mad. He says, okay, you beat me, but you better tell me your secret. And the old man said, well, every time I disappeared, I was sharpening my axe. So I was using a better tool the whole time. This is the idea behind the spiritual disciplines. This is what it is. They're tools that work. They work like sharp axes. They work like power tools. even. Even They're amazingly effective, but only if we use them. Well, here's what we need to use them for today. First of all, we need to break free of pride, and then we're going to figure out how to also use them to embrace humility and faith to a greater level than ever before. But first, break free from pride. Here's what that means that means you've got to stop trusting in your own thoughts, your own feelings, and your own choices over God's. It's that simple. No matter what the issue is, there will probably be different issues each one of us deal with. There are different things that you feel like that you're right about and God's wrong about than what I struggle with. But wherever it comes to a point where God says this and you say this and you choose you, that's the deadly sin of pride. And to really get to know God, to really have a relationship with God, you've got to bust through that. You've got to break free from that. Jesus made it possible But we have to choose to embrace what Jesus has done every day. And we've got to use these ideas, these tools he gave us. One thing to always keep in mind, breaking free from pride, is this. God always tells the truth. Would you say that out loud with me? God always tells the truth. Here's a little life hack for you. So do the people that love you. The only problem is sometimes the people who love you, since they're just people and not God, they'll tell you something they think is true. They're not trying to lie to you. They really think they're telling you true, but sometimes they're wrong. Have you ever experienced that? But God is always right, and God always loves you, and God always speaks truth. If we can somehow get that through our head, that's a great step in the right direction. All through the scriptures though, when God is telling us about pride, there's two basic themes that he's gonna use. One is he's gonna talk about it in a sense of you reap what you sow. He's just gonna set it up and he's going look, <clears throat> this is where pride goes. This is where humility or faith go. You pick one way or another, it's automatically gonna turn, turn out that way. The second way God deals with pride throughout the whole scriptures is he'll talk about it in the sense that he actively gets involved. Here's a couple of those scriptures this morning. Proverbs 11:2 says, "Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom." Proverbs 16:8, "Pride goes before destruction, and haughtiness before a fall." There's that reap what you sow kind of idea. Now we start to see a couple of glimpses where God's getting involved. Isaiah 2:17, "Human pride will be humbled, and human arrogance will be brought down. Only the Lord." will be exalted on the day of judgment. It gets even clearer in Leviticus 26 and many other passages. I just picked that one. Leviticus 26, God is outlining to the people of Israel, if you do this, here's what I'm going to do. And if you do this, here's what I'm going to do. And he's setting up his covenant with them. And he says, if you follow me and you obey my commandments and you do all these things, here's how I will protect you. Here's how I will bless you. Here's how I will make you a blessing. But if you reject me, if you disobey me, if you fight against me, if you go the other direction, here's the things I will not do. Here's the things I'll stop doing. And here's the things I'll do to directly oppose you. And in the middle of that, he says, um, if after all this, you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. Listen, I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. If you don't know that imagery, what that means is no matter, the things they're doing themselves, like trying to dig up dirt, is not going to work because he's made it like bronze. And God's not going to hear their prayers because he's made the sky like iron. So how do we break free from pride? Obviously God hates it. Obviously God has set this up. We've got to get rid. Here's one of the tools that we can use, and that's the tool of fellowship. You need to get accountable with each other. When we devote ourselves to fellowship, which includes Bible study, prayer, worship, and all the things we do together. When we're devoted to that, me becomes we. And this is part of God's design from the very beginning. When God said it's not good for humans to be alone, this is what he is saying. He designed us to work in relationships. We just spent four weeks walking through what healthy iron sharpens iron relationships looks like throughout scripture. If you miss that, I hope you go back and listen to those because this kind of builds on that. But we need those. We need accountability. Ironically, in my more recent research for this particular message, <clears throat> excuse me, I was looking at some stuff from Lauren Winner. She's and one of many acknowledged um, experts on spiritual disciplines and she doesn't actually like the term accountability that surprised me but it, what she said made a lot of sense i'd like to share that with you this morning she says accountability implies that you can't actually do what you said you would do to her at least uh, holding someone accountable means there's going to be consequences when you mess up you have to keep reporting to me because i'm expecting you to fail and you've got to confess that every time and that fear is going to drive you now, I personally think that that's one of the bigger motivators, holding somebody accountable and that fear of having to report that you messed up. That's actually a healthy thing. So I'm not totally agreeing with her, but I do see her point. But this is what I love, the way her, her, what she was saying continues. I do like this. She says, let me name for you where I see God acting and where I see you responding faithfully. Then I can also say where I think something else needs to be. That's what the Bible calls encouragement. That's what Barnabas was so great at. That's what God is calling all of us to do and those of you with the gift encouragement to do all the time. But we're, we're trying to help each other create real life change and we're expecting that to happen. So in her church, they don't call it accountability groups, they call it blessing groups because they really expect God to bless them and to help them become a blessing through this process of accountability. But with each one of these, it's not enough to just break free of the sin. It's not enough to just acknowledge that something is wrong. What makes it wrong is how much God loves the stuff that's good that these evil sins parody and counterfeit and attack and undermine. It's that God loves these things so much, and that's why he hates the things that are in opposition to them, that are the opposite of them. So let's talk about how to focus on humility. Once again, ultimately, humility is just playing the part that God wrote for us. And I don't know about you, but in my life, that has definitely been a struggle. There's been a lot of things that, that I've, I've told God, I'll do anything, I'll do anything you want me to do except this. Guess which thing he asked me to do? That. Okay, so here's some handy advice. Don't ever give God an ultimatum because that's exactly what you're going to end up doing. Are you with me? This is is how it works. God actively opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble, but he says over and over, verse after verse, Old Testament, New Testament, story after story. He actually opposes the proud. He works against you on purpose to break you free of that. But when we approach him humbly, he not only works in you, he begins to work through you. That can only happen when we do things humbly. Here's the thing, though. You can use the spiritual disciplines to become humble, you can meditate, you can pray, you can study, you can do all the other things that you can do, you can worship, you can do all those things alone, and God, you need to, you absolutely have to, you have to take that time alone to spend with God, let let that stuff percolate in you, let his spirit talk to you, just you for a while, you've got to do all that stuff alone, and he can break you free from stuff, and he can push you into something brand new, But one thing you also need to know about humility is it can only be practiced with other people. You can't be humble alone. It's not a feeling. It's not a sense that you have. I think I'm humble now. (laughs) It, 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 It doesn't happen like that. You might have an epiphany. You might have some sort of an aha moment in your time alone, but with God. But it can only be practiced with other people. Here's just a couple of verses that, where God says, here's what it looks like to be humble. This is just, you can't do this alone. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. He's not saying you should just kind of sit there in your own room and go, yeah, they're probably better than me. He's saying you're choosing their way over yours. You're choosing them over you. You're giving them space that maybe they don't even deserve. Maybe they're not even right. But in that moment, you're going to choose to serve them. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. C.S. Lewis' famous quote, I love this one. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And that's really what it's all about. You focus on things that are real, things that matter. And the ultimate example of this is, of course, Jesus Christ. We see him washing people's feet in so many other ways that he serves us. Especially we see his ultimate sacrifice. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. ...who being in his very nature God... ...did not consider equality with God something to be grasped... ...but made himself nothing... ...and took on the form of a servant... ...and became obedient even unto death... ...even death on a cross. And therefore God has exalted him... ...and given him a name that is above every other name... ...that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow... ...in heaven and on earth and under the earth... ...and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord... ...to the glory of God the Father... That's the attitude we're supposed to have. We talked the last several weeks, uh, brought up this idea of integrity versus reputation. Integrity is who you really are and who you're trying to become, who you want to be, who, who God is helping you transform into being. Reputation is what other people think of you. And when we focus on our reputation, what other people think, we, we never get where we need to be. And they never really fall for it anyway. But when we focus on integrity, when we focus on who we really are, who God has made us, who he wants us to be, and we put all of of our energy toward that, eventually we have a chance of actually becoming more like Jesus. And at least a few people may think that we got there. At least a few of them. Having said that, here's another way that we show humility. Humility. We've got to be intentional about our example to people. Every single one of us is an example whether we like it or not. The only chance, the only choice we actually get is what kind of an example we're going to be. What kind of a role model are you going to be? One of the hardest ways to be humble, the hardest ways to practice humility is to on purpose think not just about the things that you're doing, but also how is that going to appear to someone else? Not in a way to manipulate them. Not in a way to try to make them think you're better than you are. But like in Romans 14 and several other passages, is what I'm doing here, could that, could that maybe lead somebody astray? It's not faking, it's got nothing to do with that. But you're intentional about it. Peter writes about it in his uh, 1 Peter 2, he says this. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners in this world to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. That's all sins. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is the head of state ...or the officials he appointed. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. It's okay, I'm just going to read some more scripture. Just scripture, scripture, scripture for a moment. I think I'm just going to let it speak for itself. In the same way, you who are younger... ...submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Just, James says this, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And once again, we can't just break free from pride. To truly break free, we've got to focus on humility and also focus on faith. Let's say that real quick. Focus on faith. Let me hear everybody say that. Focus on faith. And one more time. Faith is trust-based action. Did I say that wrong? No. I don't know what I did. Okay, anyway. I'm sure it was silly, but let's move on. Here we go. Focus on faith. Faith is trust-based action. It's actually doing something because you believe in God so much. It's not a feeling. It's, like, it's not like, like I said earlier about humility. You don't just wake up one morning and go, I really believe. I think I actually believe, it's not a feeling, it's what you do about it. And this truth is why the spiritual disciplines are so powerful, because each one is something you actually do. This logo that we're using, um, it represents the laurel wreath that the athletes um, competed for back in the games. Back in the day, Paul has a lot of imagery that he uses about that. And he, he says that we've got to fight for what we need to become. We've got to work hard at it. We've got to train at it. It's a daily thing for this transformation to happen. And the spiritual disciplines themselves are on the, you got a special kind of handout. For these seven weeks, I'd like you to take a minute, just look at your bulletin and look at this. On the front is what we always give you, which is the bullet, the sermon outline, and all the scriptures that are even hinted at in this thing, plus many more. I hope that you, my dream is always that you use the spiritual dif- discipline of Bible study and you actually take these home and let God walk you through this in your own. Uh, the, the other side, this time, we've got actually got a two page prayer one because we're also hoping that you're going in these seven weeks to take the spiritual discipline of prayer to a deeper level than you ever had to get more excited about praying not just for these needs that have been submitted to us but also praying for our church praying for god's expanding kingdom in the world praying for specific things we'd like we're giving you those two handouts these seven weeks i hope that helps you but on the back of the sermon one these seven weeks are going to be some practical ideas for you to actually do the things that we're talking about. For example, I already said Bible study. Fasting. You can fast from food just to have more time for Bible study or something. But if you're really trying to break pride, take a break from something that you know you only do because other people compliment you when you do it. Don't do that for a day or don't do that for a week. Just let that percolate in your heart. It's harder than you think. It's going to break through your pride. Fellowship. If you don't have an accountability partner or a blessing partner, like we talked about earlier, you need one. You need an accountability group. You need a blessing group. Meditate on God so that you can stand on on, in awe of him you can explore the Psalms just walk around in nature do whatever it takes for you and I could go down this list but we really don't have time for it here's one here's a really hard one I know all of us in one way or another uh, struggle with giving maybe for seven weeks you could try the tithe if you don't know what that is or don't know what how the Bible breaks that down um, maybe you can go back and listen to that message a little while ago but here, here's Here's the bottom line. I'm not doing that as a judgment. not doing that as a, any kind of anything else. No, except if you did that as worship. If you did that as an act of trust. You did that as an act of humility, an act of faith, an act to break free of your pride no matter what God calls you to do on the other side of seven weeks. You'd be amazed what that does. This is how spiritual disciplines work. They are actions that are done in response to God. They're actions that we do. There are things we do Like an athlete training, preparing for the game that they're going to play. It's things that we do in response. well, I've got to break free from pride, I'm going to do this. I've got to lean harder into humility, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lean harder into faith, I'm going to do this. And when we actually do those things, God just steps in. And it's amazing the transformation that can happen. As we wrap up this morning, we're going to look at a couple of... um, Or one of my favorite stories, and just a couple last things. I hope you can hang on for just a few more minutes. Hebrews 10, verses 38 to 39 says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. If your house was burning down and a fireman came to rescue you, your faith would not be expressed in you going oh, cool, firemen, I think they know what they're doing. Your faith would be expressed by the fireman going, grab my hand and you grab his hand or jump out of that window and you actually jump. You you respond. You respond in faith. One of my favorite Bible stories is in Daniel 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think everybody knows that story, but I, I think it's worth referencing and going back through one more time. Because it's a perfect example of what humility and faith in the biblical sense looks like. They're perfect examples of this. And also what pride looks like. Nebuchadnezzar was so consumed by pride that even as he's threatening them and about to put them into the fiery furnace, he actually dares to defy God, like out loud. Like it's not just a sense in his heart. He says, when I throw you in this furnace, then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? What does God do when he sees pride? Actively opposes it. But look at their response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Here's one more thing that makes pride so, so powerful. Why we need to break through. Pride is tied to the past. Whether your past is really great and you've got this great reputation you're trying to hold on to. You don't want to jeopardize that. You don't want to admit that you have messed up. You don't want to admit that something's wrong. You don't want to admit that you haven't given God 100%. You don't want to admit something, even if it's really great. Or maybe your past is really bad and you don't want to acknowledge that. Whatever it is, pride is tied to what's happened up until now. And pride will always keep you stuck there. You'll never get beyond that until you break free from pride. But humility and faith are tied to now and forever. Humility and faith are choices we can make, actions we can take, attitudes we can use to approach everything in life. Humility and faith are things that we do right now and tomorrow. They're things that shape where you are today and what's going to happen next. Humility and faith are not tied to the past. They're not tied to fear. They're not tied to lies. They're tied to truth and things that could actually transform everything right now and what happens next. Please don't let your pride hold you back today. I don't know what kind of decisions God is putting on your heart. I don't know if maybe some of you, all he wants you to do is lean even harder into the spiritual disciplines. Maybe he just wants you to to acknowledge, acknowledge this enough to say, God, is there pride in my life and I just don't even realize that it's there? Help me break free of that. Is there a specific way? Maybe there's a specific thing that you're afraid of admitting or afraid of. I don't know. That's between you and God. But whatever it is, even if it's something you need to make public this morning, if it's a decision that you really feel like you need to come forward in prayer, go to the back and pray with someone about, don't let your pride hold you back. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you've been straying from Jesus or living deliberately in a certain sin and you need to repent of that, and you need to change and break free, humble yourself before God. Don't let your pride hold you back. Humble yourself. Act in faith, act in humility, and make that choice today as we stand and sing. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.